Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there. My name is Sam Maxwell, and welcome to the Bedford & Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the research process of the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series I am developing. But speaking of those Brooklyn Dodgers, we're going to go all the way up to Upper Manhattan, where Inwood prevail, uh, is, is, is set, and New York City schoolteacher Steve Rothschild joins us today. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing good. It's great to be on with you and great to share some stories. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much for joining. And we haven't really talked too much about the Giants, uh, so I'm glad to get into it with you. But let's, before we get into the baseball element, tell me about where and when you were born. I was born February 3rd, 1947. I was born in the <clears throat> inward section of Manhattan, which is the uppermost part of Manhattan, uh, in a neighborhood that was mixed, a lot of Gentiles, and a lot of German-Jewish immigrants that came over uh, either during or right after the war, of which my parents were part of. And we had a beautiful schoolyard, did a lot of ball playing there, met a lot of great friends who I'm still in touch with, and became a Giant fan. That was the first place, the first ball game I went to was at the Polo Grounds. And doing a lot of baseball reading, I think that your first uh, baseball experience is usually the team that you stick with. And that's been my team for Huh, nearly 60 years. Well, it seems, and you and I were talking about this off the air, that a lot of Giants fans uh, weren't as offended when they uh, they left like the Dodger fans are. And uh, we'll get a little bit more into Brooklyn, but uh, later it seems as if a lot of New York Giants fans still presiding in the New York area, or at least still with a lot of connection to the New York area, really stuck with the uh, San Francisco Giants, which somebody once referred to them as, uh, to me, the New York Giants of San Francisco. Well, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, I think the l- a large reason why people stuck with the Giants was because of Willie Mays. He was young when they left. He was uh, he was an icon. There was never anyone like him, and there never will again be. That's number one. Number two, WINS Radio recreated the Giant games for those first few years with Les Kider. All the games were on the air, so you were able to at least listen to them, whether it was 11 o'clock at night or 6 o'clock in the evening. So there was, a, there was an attachment there. And judging by the last two championships in San Francisco when they brought the trophies back to New York, you can't imagine how many people came out with their New York logos and stuff. It was terrific. I was able to make the second one. Now, how often do people mistaken the uh, NY on your hat as a next hat? A lot of the younger people do. Um, but those that know baseball don't. Mm. <clears throat> I, I notice a lot of that out here where I live now in Arizona, a lot of people who are not baseball savvy. Oh, you're a Mets fan. I said, no, I was a New York Giant fan. Oh, well, sounds like you have company out there. Yeah, I just got to... <laughs> well, actually, uh, somebody, it seems, has called in, and I know that you said you're going to have a lot of friends listening, so I'm going to bring them on. All right. Hi, you're live with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast. Hello. Hello there. Oh, I'm on. I didn't know that. This is Mo Resnick ah. calling from New Jersey. <laughs> Mo, how are you, Mo? All right. How are you doing, Mo? Well, All right. Right. Uh, so I'm Mo has a better story than even I have. Well, <laughs> why don't we get right into it? What are, what are the stories that you have, Mo? Go ahead, Mo. Well, <clears throat> you, uh, let me just refer to what, what uh, Steve, what you said. Uh, you, you were the, the first one to get to the polo grounds. Is that... At one point? No, no. What I said was that was my 
first baseball game was at the Polo Grounds, and I immediately became a Giant fan. That's it. That's the connection. Well, the, the Polo Grounds was my last visit on that last day of September 29, 1957. I was there. You were asleep. Uh, they played the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they lost 9-1. to one. Hmm. And, and tell me about that experience. Well, uh, a lot of people know about it already. I guess you don't. Uh, Steve, you can back me up on this. Yeah, what happened is Mo went to the game with his 16-millimeter camera, jumped over the side, and filmed all the festivities. He's got a film, and you you got to jot this down, Sam. It's called End of an Era. Very professionally done. It's been updated. He's got Ed Randall on there. He's got Ed Logan, the former Bat Boy, on there. And there's going to be more added to it. It's a great piece. I mean, he's got Rube Marquardt in there with Carl Hubble. Go ahead, Moach. Go on. Yeah, they, uh, uh, it seems like Rube Marquardt and Hubble, who never played together, also met for the first and last time on the field that day when it was the last day of the polo ground. I went to the game by myself because nobody wanted to go with me. And I didn't even know why I was going except to see a game, but I always took my camera with me. So I climbed over the little railing. I paid two bucks for the box seat and wound up with, uh, taking movies of the uh, festivities and also parts of the ball game. And I was 90 feet from home plate, and nobody seemed to care. So I made a movie. You know what, Sam? I, Sam, you have someone that can uh, give him an address that he can send that to? Because you, yeah, you're well, going to want to see that. Well, certainly. Uh, Mo, I have your phone number now. I'll give you a call, and we'll certainly discuss that. Uh, in terms of the last Dodgers-Giants game, which I believe was at the Polo Grounds, I've, I believe I've heard the tape uh, of Vince Scully. 3-2 <clears throat> uh, Giants. 3-2 uh, Giants. 3-2 Giants, exactly. So, uh, Mo, did you happen to be there? Or Steve, did you happen to be no. there? No, I was not there, but I have the tape. How about you, Mo? No, don't have it. Mo's a Cup fan. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a strange thing. When I was 11, 12 years old, one nut in the Bronx, in my neighborhood, decided that I was a Cub fan and that I should be one. So he took me to the Polo Grounds in 1944, and I caught a, a, a foul ball off the bat of Lenny Marullo, who was a lifetime 240 hitter for the Cubs, and also in the World Series, their last World Series. Thirty years later, we, uh, we met at a banquet that we are the best of friends. He is 95 years old. And, and uh, so that's the story. But I became a Cup fan, and uh, I, I, I think I reformed. I'm not sure. Psychiatry didn't help. The guys like <laughs> Steve, Steve Rothschild helped, and uh, Willie Mays heard me uh, make a big speech. Oh, yeah, the speech. we got to talk about that. So here I am, a Cup fan, making a speech in front of 42,000 Giant fans. And June 26, DVD, 2012, we were in San Francisco yeah. on the field. And my DVD was it was shown in parts in the background on a 45-foot screen. So all of a sudden, I became a hero. The Cubs never recognized me, but the San Francisco Giants did. So I tried. And you look nice in a Giant hat, Mo, anyway. I always wear it. We've got, a, <laughs> we've got an old-timers game in New Rochelle next week with the regular team, which averages 27 years old. And I'm uninvited, because I'm wearing my San Francisco uniform. 
<laughs> well, that's that's great. I appreciate you calling in. I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, you go ahead and please stay on the line. We'll we'll bring you back in a, a little bit at the end when uh, talking about some of Steve's memorabilia that you. I'm guessing you might have um, a little bit to say about that. But uh, I appreciate you calling in, though. Hey, by the way, the phone number you use is not the one I'm calling from. I'll give you the number. Ah, okay, okay, sure. We'll we'll talk soon. All right, seven three two. Well, with the number that you're currently on, stay on the line, Mo. We'll bring you back a little later, okay? Yeah, how long is the program, by the way? How long is this? Uh, the pro- okay. the program is going to be about half hour to 45 minutes. Oh, all right, so uh, we'll, I can hang We'll on. see where it takes us. Yeah. Talk okay. to you soon. Right. Well, you know that Steve, last uh, that last giant Dodger game at the Polo Grounds. You said yeah. you have the you have the copy. You heard it. Vince Scully. I mean, you know, he was young then, and he's still you know he's still on board with the Dodgers. And mm-hmm. the way he handled that game was so good. I mean, in between innings, he talked about the Pope's visit, the boxing matches, the college football. He went on and on and on. And um, that's that's his that's his style. You know, he's such a mm-hmm. studier. He's terrific. Well, it's nice that the Polo Grounds was able to get a couple more years of baseball under its skin yeah. when, uh, before it was torn down with the Mets. Mets, uh, yeah. and, and legendary, although uh, infamous, I guess you would say, on the uh, the other side of it, the ball. But uh, the, what, what first prefaced uh, me trying to get in touch with some Giants people uh, and, and trying to get more into that element of the era was the uniforms. I was writing some stuff about 1938, and I went back to the the baseball. Uh, there's a great database that the Hall of Fame runs online. Mm-hmm. And I I originally when I when I looked at it, I had written as navy blue when it comes to the 1937 and 1938 uniform. 1949, the hat became black and orange. Black and orange. <clears throat> right they, after they the Melod era. They I'm did, sorry. Uh, no, I was going to say they did have a, a, a black and orange uniform that was a, a little bit different, a little bit uh, less polished than the later. Correct. Uh, uniform that we know about, but like, can you talk about some of the late '30s uniforms and, and how it it's uh, straight away from what we now know as uh, the orange or black colors? Well, first of all, everything was baggy. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the colors were not exactly what they are now. I mean, I have a bunch of old hats. Some of them are gray. The NY is not the same as it is as it was in the late '50s or in the late '40s to the late '50s. Um, I guess they just tried to make changes to keep the fan interest going. Now, was there a little bit of uh, orange and blue going on? You know what? The hats I have from the late 40s were blue with the NY. The Mel Ott cap, for example, from 46, 47. I have a 49 black and orange hat, the one I was wearing before when we were walking to the garage, that became black and orange. The logo itself stayed from probably the late 40s until they left the NY before that, the logos began. The logos did change a little bit. NY was always there, but uh, it was thinner at one point. It was thicker at another point. Um, mm-hmm. That's that was it. Now, in terms of when the Dodger blue came uh, came to prevalence in the late '30s, uh-huh. uh, what was what was the big difference between those two blues? I can't really. I don't think I really know that one. Mm-hmm. I can't really answer that one with the Dodger. I know they didn't get their name until the early '30s. They had all these other names, mm-hmm. bridegrooms and. Uh, Etc. Etc. Yeah, the, it, B, the just, B stands out. You can still buy those hats in L.A. Yeah, 
Of course, exactly. And, and uh, you can't buy the NY first... hats in San Francisco. Go figure that one out. Well, because I guess because of uh, the Mets, that probably they, they they used to do them. Uh, they just recently got rid of them, am I right? I mean, I you know I, I go out there at least once a year, and last year was the first time I saw nothing New York. <laughs> Somebody said they're going to stop bringing it back, <clears throat> which I think they will. I think we were Mo and I and, and Gary and a handful of others were on the field. That was what he was talking about before, and I think the mm-hmm. fans really saw how much New York love is still even for San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they just retired Monty Irvin's number. That was a long time coming. Well, so so when did you head out west? Well, I try to go once a year to see them play. This was the first year I didn't go. I, when I did you the, move from New York? We moved uh, July 1st of 2003 after I retired from teaching in Washington Heights. Ah, and let's get into that a little bit. What, what yeah, was it's, that it's ironic. I, being a school teacher uh, up there. It's ironic because I, I for, in the beginning, I could walk to work. You know, I lived in Upper Manhattan. Washington Heights is the next spot over. I was on 177th Street between Audubon and St. Nicholas Avenue. Ironically enough, Manny Ramirez was on my sixth-grade basketball team in 1985. And there were days I would walk home until I moved to Riverdale, the Bronx. But I, I didn't move too far for the first 25, 26 years. I moved from Sickle Street to Thayer Street to Dungan Place, which were all within three or four blocks. And then we moved to Riverdale, which was just a couple of miles to the north. Teaching in Washington Heights was a great experience. Um, I had a terrific run there. I was in one school for 35 years. I thanked my sister-in-law for getting me, and she was a year ahead of me. She got in in 67. She spoke up on my behalf, and then I went there in 68. And the assistant principal was my sixth-grade teacher. So when I walked into the school for an interview, he recognized me. I still remember his words. He said, oh, that's the punch ball fiend from my sixth-grade class. So the rest is history. I was there from 68 to 2003. What what are some of the, uh, the the kind of environments that you went through? Because uh, 68 to 2003, that well, area really the school a lot. was uh, largely Cuban and Puerto Rican when I started, and then it became 90 percent or more Dominican. Mm-hmm. Um, the area, of course, changed. It was very much like my area growing up. It was a lot of Irish and a lot of Jewish people, and they all got out and became largely dominantly Hispanic. Some Greeks and some Asians. When did you start really seeing the turnover uh, happen? You know what? I saw it before I went to teaching because I used to go to Highbridge Pool every Sunday morning. Highbridge Pool is on 173rd in Amsterdam. And during my high school days and even later, we would go swimming on Sunday mornings. You could see the neighborhood was changing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's bouncing back now. Um, You know, it's, it's it's a pretty vibrant neighborhood. I was never afraid to walk around the area even at nights. Well, speaking of walking, I'm sure you uh, did plenty of walking over to 156th and 8th Avenue where the polo grounds uh, resided. Yeah, well, my, my school was even closer than where I lived. You know, I could bicycle down to the polo grounds on the Harlem River Drive. They used to call it the Speedway. It ran from Dykeman Street basically to the polo grounds area. And incidentally, they're renaming two blocks now after Willie Mays. I don't know if you're aware of that. I did not know that. Yep. And I know that they're, they are, uh, I'm not sure if it's done, I think I heard it got postponed, but the John T. Brush stairway that used to go right down to the polo grounds. Well, I, I urge you and I urge all the listeners to go on the New York Giants Preservation Society website and you'll get all the updated stories. The staircase is basically done. They're putting it in place now. I would say certainly, well, if not before the end of the year, certainly in the beginning of next year, they're going to have some sort of a ceremony there. 
for the staircase. Now, but I've been hearing about this from the New York Preservation, uh, the New York Giants Preservation Society. Can you talk a little bit about them and how you got connected? Well, <clears throat> uh, Gary Mintz and I have become good buddies. Uh, he's probably even a crazier Giant fan than I am. He stays up late at night, listens to every game. I can't even do that. I'm and I'm a, I'm on Pacific time here. Um, we talked one day, and it was after the first trophy deal in New York, where there there had to be a thousand people outside that hotel, and I still remember seeing pictures of Larry Bear's face, who's the you know, the GM now, I mean the owner now, president. He couldn't believe the numbers of people that came out. So I said to Gary, I said, you know what, why don't we try to do something in San Francisco? We're not going to get 1,000 people to come out, but we'll get some people. We'll get Eddie Logan. We got, we got the last two Bat Boys, and we got the first Bat Boy in San Francisco, Roy McKercher. Mo joined us with his tape. Mike Murphy, the uh, current clubhouse man, was part of it, and Peter McGowan was part of it. We called. We made a couple of phone calls. Calls came back to me. I broached the idea of what we wanted to do, and they bought it hook, line, and sinker. June 26, 2012 was a tribute to the New York Giants night. And the gentleman that we were dealing with wanted to know what our group is called, and that's when the, the name came out. Gary jumped in and said, we're the New York Giants Preservation Society, and that's when it started. And I remember that. Most of it, he gave a speech, and uh, I'd like to bring him back on to uh, talk Well, Mo talked basically, to, yeah, get, you can get him back on. Mo talked basically about his tape, because while we were standing there, while we were being introduced, and then Peter McGowan spoke about the fact that the Giants have more Hall of Famers than any team in the major leagues, and that includes the Yankees. That got a big ovation. And then Mo came up and talked about his, his last day at the Polo Grounds and his flick, his film, which has been uh, up. I mean, it looks like a movie that was taken yesterday. You've got, to get, you've got to get a copy of that. So, Mo, uh, that tape, it's in color? You're on, you're on, you're back on, by the way. Oh, Mo. I'm back on. Oh, Yeah, it's in color. Nobody could believe it. The sports writers couldn't believe it. I walked in with a, with a color camera, and nobody had a movie camera that day. So, mm -hmm. it, it was exciting. What, it, what you know, and you, not only that, but you see in the movie, you see how bad the stadium looked. You can see the grass wasn't groomed properly. The walls were caving in. They let it run, run out. Yeah. So there's a lot to see in that in that movie. Well, Mo, what prompted you to go down there that day? I wanted to go see a game because I was a fanatical baseball fan. So uh, people said, what are you going there for? The Cubs are not playing. I said, so what? The Giants are there with Pittsburgh. And, uh, and it's, it's the last day. But I didn't know it was the last day forever. And there was only 11,000 people showing up. And I took out the camera, made the movie, and put it away for a half a century before I got a call from some people. And I showed it. And the New York Times was there, a guy from the New York Times. And, and the next day, put my pic picture in the paper. So I, I, I decided to take get this thing seriously. So we put it all together. And now I have a 41-minute um, uh, movie. And it's going to be another 10 minutes once we get it updated with the San Francisco Giants. And Willie so, Mays put his stamp for approval on it. Is that right, Mo? Uh, he has not done it yet. Okay. But I expect mm. I expect any moment to, to him approve it so that I can put him on the jacket of the uh, of the video. And he's he's also it. got the audio interviews from the clubhouse after the game, and you hear the people screaming outside, "Stay, team, stay!" or "We want yeah. Willie." He's got Russ right. Hodges interviewing all the people in the clubhouse. That's the uh, right. audio portion. Well, speaking right. of Willie Mays, this is uh, just coming up in my head right now. What 
was it like before he got traded to the Mets? What what was his career uh, uh, like at that point? Before well, he was, you know, he was fading. You know, he was. You kind of compare it to what's happening with Derek Jeter nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, he In was fading. I, he was he, he was fading. But there's a interesting sideline to that. His last hit against the A's in the World Series in '73. Mm-hmm. The story goes he got up to bat, and the first pitch was a strike, and he turned to the catcher and said, well, I, "I didn't even see that one." So he threw him another fastball, strike two. I didn't even see that one. They were obviously setting him up. The next pitch he got a hit on. Yeah. That was typical Willie Mays. Um, it kind of was sad. I, I was there the night that he announced his retirement at Chase Stadium. Mm. Um, kind of sad. I mean, the tears were flowing, as we say. Well, we're about to be. Uh, we're coming up on celebrating that uh, the 40th anniversary of the 1973 team, and it was. Uh, as a Mets fan, I'm. I'm I really like that that was the way he went out, was with a New York National League team. Well, that was Mrs. Payson. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Yogi Berra couldn't swallow his pride. He's got Willie Mays and Wayne Garrett on the bench. Needed a pinch hitter. He brings Wayne Garrett up. He didn't get along with Mays. There were some problems there when Willie came to New York, but that's another story. No, you were about to say something. Well, uh, Go ahead. Oh no, that that uh, that Willie Mays hit that you talked about. I got yeah. the last hit he ever got into Polo Grounds that day. It was an infield ground, uh, an infield hit, and right, I happened to film it. I was just That's happened right. to, yeah. So yep. and Willie Mays was there, that. and and so many great players. I said hello to Mrs. John McGraw, and uh, and Bill Rigney, and Sid Gordon, and Hank Sauer was a great guy, and Monty Irwin. Everybody it was Monty Irwin. Uh, and they were really nice. Uh, really, was there, I got it all on film. Nobody else got it, so I got it. Was there the doom and gloom feeling? Because uh, you hear about that last uh, Abbott's Field game. Was it a similar environment? Because I, I, I heard, hear that it was a very morbid environment down in the Flatbush that day. What was yeah, it like at the Polo Grounds? I, well, I got, people know that uh, this is this is the end, and next yeah, year, but you know, I, there's no next year. But the funny part about it is, I didn't know it, but a lot of people did. There was only eleven thousand people there, and I filmed the I filmed some of the people in the stands. And you're right; they were not happy at all. No. Who was the movie? Happy. Jeff Chandler, right? He was there that day. The movie Jeff star? Chandler was there. I got a right. photograph of him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, it was really wonderful. It was, a, it was a great thing. Who 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 thinks that my DVD made the Hall of Fame and I didn't? <laughs> Yep, well, and I said uh, that I made that. I said that in my speech, and I said I'm very happy to be here tonight. Forty-two thousand people, but only eleven know who I am, and that got a big laugh. Because I'm a comedian by nature. I was a professional exactly. comedian, so I, I got a minute and a half of laughs in that, and it was great. It was a wonderful feeling. And then well, we Steve, went let me ask you first. Let me ask you first about uh, uh, the perception of Brooklyn. Uh, living all the way up to you, you said you were both in uh, Riverdale and in Inwood. Um, what did what did Upper Manhattan and most of Manhattan feel about this this borough? You know what I I, I think this is strictly my thought. I think the Dodger the Brooklyn people they were Dodger fans. Brooklyn was like another was like a city in itself. The uh, bourgeois, the upper class, they were Yankee fans because the Yankees won every year. The lower socioeconomic people and a lot of the Jewish people where I grew up they were Giant fans. Right. Giant fans hated the Brooklyn, hated the Brooklyn Dodgers. I mean, Duke Snyder was quoted once as saying, "We hate the Giants so much, we even hate Halloween." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a quote. I have heard that. 
Um, yeah, if you were a Giant fan, you couldn't you couldn't like the Dodgers. You know, it's interesting though that not every Brooklyn resident was a Dodger fan. I, I did have uh, my uncle who grew up in Brooklyn. It was a Giants fan. Did you seem to come across that uh, that often, or uh, is, is is that that rare? It was very rare where where I lived in Inwood. It was very very rare to have somebody not rooting for either the Giants or the Yankees. And I'm pretty sure it was that way in Brooklyn too. I don't think there were too many Giants or, or Yankees. And, and, and Yankee Stadium, it was fairly close. It was a walk away, really, up there. Well, right over the bridge. I mean, right. I got some great pictures of that. That's that, you know, situation there, right over the and, bridge. In fact, Mo, you know, there's this, you know, McGraw. I mean, this is another topic, but mm-hmm. when when Ruth started hitting the home runs, the Yankees were tenants at the Polo Grounds. Mm-hmm. Well, McGraw didn't want them there anymore because the Yankees were outdrawing the Giants. And when they played in that World Series in 22, 23, whatever it was, he didn't want to go into the Yankee clubhouses. McGraw had the team change in the polo grounds, and they walked across the bridge in their giant uniforms. Didn't want any part of Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Hey, Steve, did John I ever McGraw. tell you, uh, uh, John McGraw was elected to the Irish Baseball Hall of Fame, and they invited me to the ceremonies. Where was that? I, I in, in, in New York City, Manhattan, okay. Paulie's Restaurant. So I, oh, I don't know, I know why they wanted me, because I'm the only heir of connection to John McGraw, because I met his late wife, his wife Mrs. that McGraw. last That's day. Correct. So they gave That's me correct. the award. Who else were they going to give it to? That's correct. <laughs> well, everyone else is dead. You're the only one still hanging on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're able to discuss uh, all these lovely, lovely <laughs> subjects. It's, it's uh, beautiful to keep everything alive, and that's that's the way uh, you know. Well, you know what's beautiful it about it, Sam? That, you're a young guy, and you and you're still interested in this. I'm extremely interested in it. There it, are, it, like it, I mentioned to you earlier, before we got on the air, this young fellow, John McLaughlin, mm-hmm. who is the um, works for cable on Long Island, traffic and weather, and he's writing a book on why the Giants left New York, and he's got some great research. He's had interviews with Peter McGowan. He's had interviews with Horace Thunham's granddaughter, Jamie Rupert, who lives out here in California, um, among others. And he had a, at least one call into Monty Irvin, and they spoke for quite a while. Yeah. So he's well on his way, and hopefully he's listening. I think he said he was going to be listening, and then the two of you guys should really connect. Well, John, uh, if you are listening, we'll certainly love to have you on. Uh, why don't you give, a, give us a call? The uh, guest call in is 347 637 and if anybody else is listening out there, we have about ten minutes left on the show. And now, now, Mo, what's really yeah. interesting? What's really interesting is that you are a baseball fanatic from New York, uh, but you you were you ended up being a Cubs fan, and, and you know you you didn't necessarily latch on to the teams around you. So, what was your perception about the Dodgers, and how often would you venture out to Brooklyn? I didn't venture out to Ebbets Field too often, but. I I I went to the Polo Grounds quite often, quite often, and also the Yankee Stadium. But basically, I was a National League fan. Hmm. And uh, that's that's that part of it. I'm still playing now, ball, you know, Steve. You know that. I know. I know you are. Perfect. Is there any ever? Is there a story you can tell us about uh, one time you did go to Ebbets Field though? Uh, and and you know maybe. Yeah. I, I go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it was very quick, but I remember I was sitting in the bleachers, and I was rooting for the Cubs and screaming and yelling. So one guy get up, got up and said, "Shut up!" And then a big tall, a big tall guy got up after him and said, "Let that kid be a Cub fan. I'll bust you right in the mouth." 
<laughs> I thought the bigger guy was going to kill me. He no, he's still around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, Mo, <laughs> I, I very much appreciate you coming on as well. It, it, it's a uh, fantastic added bonus, and, and certainly let's uh, talk about having you on another time. Okay. Okay. Thanks, There's Mo. much to say. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Mo. Good talking. Now, Steve, uh, before we go, I'd like to get into some talk about some of the memorabilia that I, I was able to see uh, via video chat right before we got on. Uh, what are some of your favorite items from your garage? Well, I got a bunch of I got a bunch of Willie Mays autographs, you know, on balls and on photos. Um, I, actually, one of my prize items. You hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, because I just moved into the garage. One of my prize items. I run a sports interest group here in, in Surprise, and I've been in the newspaper a lot because we've had a lot of great speakers coming up here, including Josh Hamilton and Ferguson Jenkins, and the list goes on and on. And some old fellow, old gentleman in a neighboring, neighboring town picked up on an article and said, I have something I want to give your club. Well, make a long story short, he gave me a 1955 Brooklyn Dodger bat lithographed by each person on that team. It's priceless. I went to pick it up. I said, I can't take this. He says, no, I have no family. I have no friends. I'm basically by myself. I want you to have it. I know I'll be taking good care. And I would keep in touch with this guy from time to time. And then all of a sudden, nobody picked up the phone anymore, so obviously he passed away. That's probably my the best piece I have. That and the uh, replica 600 home run bat that Willie Mays signed. Those are two things. And then I have a 1931 sealed stadium chair. Um, which is a, another good piece. Now, how often do you sit in it? I don't sit in it at all. It's loaded up with <laughs> Willie Mays T-shirts, autographed giant hats, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I have a, a sign that's hanging in Yankee Stadium. I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee, Joe DiMaggio. That was from the, uh, the original, quote-unquote, original Yankee Stadium. Yes, yes, I have a, a replica copy of that framed. And then I got a bunch of the Willie Mays, the famous Willie Mays catch. I have a bunch of those signed. Uh, quite a number of Monty Irvin pieces. Uh, I got a couple of shots of Willie Mays with Barry Bonds. Um, I have a very nice Orlando Cepeda piece here from his rookie year. And I got a lot of Willie Mays cards, vintage stuff. A lot of photos of the Polo Grounds, Ebbets Field, models, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go back to that uh, Joe DiMaggio piece because it brings up uh, Joe DiMaggio number one uh, right. and the Yankees uh, going back to what you said about the uh, the upper class and bourgeois being a Yankee fan but it seems right. as if Joe DiMaggio brought in uh, just by himself brought in a lot more blue collar fans to the Yankees and, well, and also he's one of the more uh, 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 he's looked up uh, up to uh, from most of New York baseball fans as opposed to just Yankees well, he was the replacement for Ruth and Gehrig. You know, he was the Yankee Clipper, and he preceded the Mick, but he wasn't too nice to the Mick. Um, as you, I'm, I'm sure you heard what happened in the 51 World Series when Mantle slipped into that water drain in right field. And ironically, it was because Joe DiMaggio held up. Correct. And do you know who hit, who hit that ball? Who hit that ball? The greatest baseball player of all time. Well, he is. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, before we go, let's go into, uh, you know, you were talking about how iconic Willie Mays is. 
and that is certainly the case. And uh, hordes of Giants fans uh, have many, many uh, pieces of memorabilia. What is your greatest memory when it comes to Willie Mays playing baseball in the 50s? I'll go to the, my first game, 1955. I had a... Uh, Jackie Robinson bat, and I believe my first glove was an Al Kaline glove. And an uncle of mine from California was visiting us in New York, and he took me to the game with another uncle. My first baseball game, I'm sitting there. We had great seats, box seats. Sixth, seventh inning, I'm not sure what it was. And this guy, number 24, gets up. What did I know? I didn't know anybody. He hits a Texas leaguer to short right field. And I'm watching the ball, as everybody else would do. And the next thing, I put my head down, and I see him rounding second. The hat flies off. He goes to third. <clears throat> that's my man. That's Willie Mays. That's brilliant. And that's I Willie believe Mays. that's and that's where we're going to end. Steve, thank you very, very much for coming on and giving us some insight about the uh, the Upper Manhattan team, the New York baseball giants. Uh, and, and we'll certainly have you on again. We, we, there's a plethora of information we can grab from you. Absolutely. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you. Have a good one. Absolutely. That's our show, everybody. Take care. Greg, catch us next time on Friday when we'll talk to Alan Newmark, who uh, you, see, you see his name all over New York City as one of the real estate Mongols in this town. Thank you, everybody. Take care.